This is what I'm going to present today. is is going to be is based on a book that I recently published and co-authored with uh, Professor Anatrida Filido. Basically, the, the presentation structure is going to be according to those lines. I'm going to talk a bit about the methodology of the research and then a bit about the theoretical framework, and then I'm going to go straight into the findings and uh, and I'm going to be talking to you about the social processes that play behind the migrants' migrant business. That's my main target, uh, my main aim today. And then in the end I'm going to conclude with a couple of implications for uh, policy that our research entails. Um, so uh, our, our research has um, uh, com comprised of uh, desk research of uh, of migration towards Italy and Spain, stemming from North Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, Morocco, etc. And uh, another empirical research on um, uh, African and Asian migration, smuggled migration coming to Greece, and then uh, moving out, of, trying to move out of Greece. And uh, the, <coughs> the, we have interviewed, as I say here, uh, we have around 100 qualitative interviews with migrants and uh, refugees and smugglers. And um, basically there were life stories that were telling us about, uh, you know, from what jobs they did and in the country of origin to the very details of uh, striking a deal with a smuggler and you know, the journey and so on. And um, uh, this research is based on both interviews as well as participant and non-participant observation. Uh, when, we're, when we were trying to, because it was, it, was, it was a long process, we had around 15 months of or 16 months of uh, actual uh, field work and um, it was uh, a very very exciting process and very sad in many occasions because the stories you hear are uh, hard to take in sometimes and digest and the field work locations are uh, in Greece uh, Athens, the capital, Thessaloniki, the north, Everest region is the northern uh, part of Greece. Uh, it's the region that borders with Turkey. It's where we have the, 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 the massive inflow of uh, undocumented migrants from uh, other parts of the world. And then it's uh, Patra and uh, Lesbos is another uh, entry point to Greece, Patra is a, an exit point to Europe, and rural Peloponnese is where we went to mostly talk with uh, people working under very harsh conditions, in some cases even labor trafficking conditions in, in, in agriculture. And um, so a bit, a bit briefly about the theoretical background of uh, our approach. Uh, I will be talking about mainly about migrant smuggling, but uh, there are points that uh, trafficking comes into play 
and uh, the main way that I, that we attempted to, to to distinguish the two is uh, on the on the degree of coercion that is involved in trafficking, and of, on the threat of force and violence that it involves, and whereas migrant smuggling is to a certain extent is more based on a if you can call it free exchange, or uh, there is more freedom there. In a, we can discuss it later on if you want. Um, and then, uh, if we look at the main issue that we're trying to address here, is trying to see migrants smuggling, trying to see its economic aspects and its social aspects. And uh, there is a lot of literature that focuses on the cost-benefit side of, uh, of, of smuggling, trying to interpret smuggling, and trying to interpret the decision of the, mag of the migration decision. Uh, I, I just decided to put a few uh, uh, studies, just, just a couple actually, uh, talking about uh, this is one of them is Coser study uh, when he w wanted to uh, to understand about uh, wh whether there is an investment payoff in uh, when in order to in order to explain the decision of, of the, the migrant to to use them smuggler services and uh, he has found that there is it is worth taking the risk let's say, and using the smuggler services because it pays off after some years, uh, the investment that has been made. Um, and, uh, but this is problematic because, this is problematic because it uses uh, something that is not really, uh, because it is based on uh, information that the migrant does not have when he starts his journey. Um, uh, more research deals with that problem of the problem of informed decision, of non-informed decision actually. And uh, there is the, the work of Tamurai who uh, is um, trying to understand whether two two things basically. One thing is would a higher price, would a higher uh, payment to a smuggler, would it uh, mitigate the dangers and the trouble? Would it help avoiding the risk on the journey? Um, and there is a kind of link that he kind of suggests that it does. And then the other uh, argument that he supports is that uh, the tougher the enforcement, uh, the more likely is the migrant to, to be exploited and have a nasty experience. So, uh, according to this view, migrants are seemingly at the mercy of both smugglers and policies. And his, his main argument about enforcement is that you have, uh, when you have tougher enforcement, the, the cost of smuggling is higher, and therefore the network is more, uh, is, is more under pressure. And he, he even suggests that so-called good smugglers are crowded out and therefore the probability for exploitation is much higher. Um, other kind of research that tries to look at 
the social aspects behind smuggling. They, they talk about uh, family ties, ethnic ties that are in play and are crucial for the decision to migrate and that are crucial in the actual outcome of the whole journey. Um, our approach is more um, influenced by these approaches and um, in what I'm, I will try to do today I will basically talk about the economic aspects of smuggling like the, like the fees paid, the, the mode of payment, the, the itinerary, uh, the means of transport and all these I will try to explore them against the social relations and the networks between smuggling and smuggler and uh, in doing so I will try to to, uh, to bring out some main features about the organization of the smuggling network before the journey then. I, w I will briefly talk about try to try to uh, address the issue of uh, why migrants leave uh, but, uh, because it is related to how migrants live, how do they prepare themselves uh, in order to leave and embark on a smuggling deal and which relates, which will relate to the, to the whole uh, organization of the smuggling network. Um, so what we have, uh, what we have seen is that chain migration is and the, and the role of a settled of a settled immigrant community is is crucial, and in the decision of many migrants to to leave their countries, I refer here to indicatively to the case of the Pakistanis in Greece, where you have, as I will tell you more later on, uh, a community that is more or less was up to now more or less settled in Greece, and people. Uh, used to have, used to work, and there was work, mostly informal work, but there was work for them, and, you know, relatives were bringing their, uh, you know, fathers were bringing their sons, their cousins, and there was a whole chain of migration there. So that's one <coughs> aspect that is linked very much to the quality of the journey, if you can call it like that. Pointing also to the, the, the significance of, of the presence of a settled immigrant community in the destination country or transit country, like the one that Greece is, uh, it is the, the case of Afghans that have been trying to, uh, that have been migrating to Greece and have been trying to get out of Greece. Here we see, of course, push factors that prevail in their decision to, to, to migrate. And uh, even though that even though that Afghans have been coming to Greece in significant numbers since 2006 or seven, if I'm not mistaken, um, we have not seen the the pull factor effect that let's say the Pakistani community has had. We have not seen that, and this is due to several reasons. Part of which is uh, the fact that. The Afghans, they were, uh, as time went by, they were interested in uh, using Greece as a transit stop, that it was not their intention to be there. The fact that up to recently, hardly 
I mean, very small numbers would uh, apply for asylum in Greece because their intention was to move further and they didn't want to be uh, trapped there. But they were trapped anyway because they were fingerprinted. So anyway, that's another story. I will uh, then the Bangladesh's case. Bangladeshis, they have had, we have found various cases. We have found cases of Bangladeshis that use the same routes with, uh, along with Pakistanis or Afghans. And we have found Bangladeshis that came through Romania or Bulgaria to Greece. And they have initially went to Romania for, with a, uh, via recruitment agency or a tourist visa or all, all sorts of things. So, it's a different case. So I, w I will mainly talk about the Asian flow towards Greece and not trying to get out of Greece. Uh, I will also re refer to the African migrants coming to Greece. But um, I, I, I will, uh, because, because there is no, it would take us days to talk about uh, migrants coming to Italy or to Spain, that would uh, not help. Plus, our research has been uh, focusing on uh, the flows that have been coming via Greece to Europe. So, so talking about the sub-Saharan Africans, Africans from uh, Somalia or Sudan or Senegal on the other side of Africa, there are both push and pull factors that uh, are, at, are, in, are at play here. Uh, explaining the migration decision. Uh, there are many cases where we found uh, uh, Senegalese youngsters that were just interested to, to, to reach Europe, to reach France, needed to become football players because they were watching the telly back home and that was their dream. We have found cases of North Africans that, uh, Algerians for instance, that wanted to, to also to go to France or to another French-speaking country uh, in order to uh, follow their dream, even though they were much better off than several sub-Saharan nationalities. We have also found that uh, sometimes we have found cases of, uh, of, of trafficking, of sex trafficking, and I'm talking about networks coming to the migrant's family as opposed to the migrant trying to reach out, trying to find the smuggler. And uh, there have been cases uh, in, in certain parts of Africa, in certain locations, where they have, we have encountered cases of um, uh, parents living in very poor, uh, uh, under very poor conditions, and uh, Basically, even selling, we have even seen that selling kind of their daughters to, to a broker, to a, a trafficker really. And usually we have found that the role of the madame there, who was sometimes an ex-trafficked person that uh, was going back to her country in order to speak about all her successful career in, uh, in Europe and trying to attract more clients to the network. We have, so it all depends. Um, 
And moving on to the related issue of how do they, how do the migrants leave? And I'm referring here to the preparatory stages of of, uh, of the journey. Uh, we will look into the ways that uh, people find the smuggler, and which leads us to uh, some of the which leads us to you know which discloses some of the roles uh, in the smuggling network, some of the key roles in the smuggling network. Um, the main way that people found the smuggler was through uh, family and key networks, as I say in the slides, and community <coughs> networks. Uh, the broker has been a, is a key figure, in, uh, and it can be encountered this figure can be encountered in both origin, transit, and destination countries. And uh, it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be, sometimes it is the relative of the smuggled person. Um, in one case in particular, and being a relative doesn't always mean that you're going to have a better deal. Um, there have been I'll just refer to one example of Samsi that I say here. He was working as a builder and he was involved in uh, building uh, houses for American soldiers and other personnel in Afghanistan. And uh, basically after various adventures he, he had to escape because he was approached by the Taliban and who were threatening him because he was offering his services to the Americans and all that. So this guy, he was, um, he paid something like 11,000 euros in order to be smuggled to Greece, to Europe, that's what they say, and Greece is the first stop. And that was a very high price compared to, to the 8,000 that Afghans, or 7,000 euros that Afghans used to pay. That was in 2010, and this uh, and basically he found the smuggler through his cousin, and uh, he left the money to his cousin actually, and uh, somebody said that, yeah, that my cousin helped me and that's fine, that's all fine. But it was clear that his cousin got a cut from the whole deal because he was also involved in, was also recruited as a broker because uh, he was trying to find you know, other clients for the local smuggling. Um, so it doesn't, you know, in family doesn't always mean that you have a better deal. And another key role uh, is, the, yeah, is the role of the, the guarantor. Um, and the role of the cashier. Uh, basically, what what do they do? Um, is that what we have found is that, uh, especially in uh, in Asian migrants coming from Afghanistan, Bangladesh, and Pakistan, and Iran, is that uh, migrants are um, addressed to certain uh, individuals who may be shop owners. Uh, who are very known to the local community, and they 
And these people, they are connected to smugglers, and they, they work like a bank. So um, the migrant's family would place the money, in, uh, would deposit the money or part of the money to the cashier, and uh, the cashier would give a code to the migrant, and the migrant would, when he reached this destination, he would call his family or call the cashier and tell him that code and tell him that I arrived in Greece. And basically the whole thing works because it's a, it's a business and if you do something uh, bad, <laughs> if you try to take the money and run, or if you trick your client, the whole village, the whole community will find out. So they have an interest to keep the deal from their part, the cashiers. The guarantor is kind of, can perform the same role actually. Um, I have distinguished it here, thinking of various cases that we found, one of which is the case of, ah of Ahmad, who has, who is, an, who is an immigrant living in Greece for 10 years. He has tried to help relatives or friends coming to Greece and he would speak directly with the smuggler and arrange a deal and uh, he would pay. He would he would be he would guarantee that to the to the dealer that uh, the migrant is gonna that you're gonna get your money when the migrant is here. Sometimes uh, there were many cases where he in, when he intervened or where people like him intervened and uh, managed to get a cheaper deal out of the smuggler. Finding the money is another very important aspect that uh, reveals you know, the social networks that are in play here in smuggling, in the smuggling business. And of course you see migrants mobilizing all sorts of family uh, and local economic resources. I'm referring to the main examples that we found. There are people that sell their land, that sell their houses, that mortgage their houses, and people that have savings, people that use savings from relatives already in Europe or in USA. Uh, we have, um, there have been cases when I'm talking about mortgaging property, we found quite a few cases where, uh, th where the family of the migrant um, basically um, did not have the money, so they only had the house. So <coughs> they mortgaged the property, i.e., they were uh, the kind of they were renting, the, the kind of sold the property to the smuggler when the migrant reached the reached destination and they were renting to the smuggler. No, and they were the, sorry, and they were paying rent to the smuggler until the, the amount agreed was, um, uh, was covered. And there are the cases, there are cases of good loans, meaning interest-free loans, uh, given by family here. Um, you may not, you may get a good deal financially, but uh, the, you are indebted to your relatives that did so, which leads you to various other, uh, which has various implications. An example is 
that uh, you might find yourself in trouble if you return or if you are returned uh, to your country of origin after you reach uh, your destination. Uh, one case that comes into mind is the case of uh, uh, a young Afghan that came to UK via Greece via his brother who was a smuggler and brought him to UK and he and basically he uh, he stayed here for four years he was deported when he reached 18 he was deported back to Afghanistan and there he was facing he is facing currently threats uh, because he is seen as the the person that made it to Europe, so he should have money, and then they also see him as a threat to property that he's gonna uh, reclaim the house that was mortgaged, and or or even by his own relatives he has threats, like because there was a man that left the house and the mother was there, and now the uncles and the cousins are feeling that now he's gonna claim back. Uh, his family home, so all sorts of things come out, even in cases of good loans. Um, so there are, there are different cases of smuggling deals and different modes of payment. Uh, so uh, one of which that we encountered in uh, um, in. Uh, African migration, let's say, um, is money that is paid up front and paid during different legs of the journey. And we have seen this in cases of uh, Nigerians, for instance, traveling through Algeria, reaching Libya, um, and uh, there are all sorts of stories happening. There is other literature that points to women that have been abused uh, by by the lower ranked smugglers, that the drivers that were uh, the transporters that were taking them to uh, from one leg of the journey to another in the, in the Sahara Desert. Um, so it is more risky doing it this way, basically. Uh, another kind of deal is when you leave the whole sum you leave it to the cashier to be paid when reaching destination. And uh, another deal is, but sometimes you don't leave it. You don't leave the sum to the cashier. Sometimes uh, you leave the sum to to, to a relative uh, that is known to you, or you agree between a relative of yours and the broker and smuggler. You agree with them that. I'm going to pay, I'm going to sell my property, I'm going to sell my land, and you're going to get the money when my son reaches Athens, for instance. This is the last case here. And uh, these kind of deals, they can, uh, they come in, they, they may entail risks for a migrant that is traveling. Um, I'll tell you more about it. The next slides, um, and the other case is when you have part of the money of the deal left with the cashier, and you 
you pay it when you reach the first run stop. Usually you pay it when you reach Istanbul. Uh, and uh, then the rest you pay it off when you reach the destination, which is usually Athens. And, uh, you, and then the, there are cases when you do that, and there are other cases when you pay, let's say, up to, to Turkey, and then um, you have agreed to pay the rest through work <coughs> in Turkey, let's say, or through work in Greece. And there you can have various incidents of, of trafficking at play. So, um, uh, and another case that wha what we also kind of find out, found out is that a lower price, especially that was the case with Pakistani migration, we found that if you try to, 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 to get a discount from the smuggler and you eventually get a lower price, uh, this usually leads to, uh, to payments and installments of the transit stop and the destination, which may lead to various problems which one of the most usual uh, dangers is that you will be in a safe house when you reach at the transit stop and you will be imprisoned there before uh, until, the, until your family pays the rest of the money or uh, all sorts of um, uh, dangers lurking there. Um, so routes, we can talk about routes in the discussion because there's much more to say than just routes, but it, we can talk about it later, I think. Um, I'll just keep the final bullet point about routes is that um, the routes basically change all the time. It's no news, but uh, they are affected by uh, the change of the route is affected by the bribing potential of the smuggling network and the number of local contacts of the smuggling network, of the intermediary contact that they have. And um, of course the higher or the low amount agreed does affect uh, the, the route that is taken. For instance, um, there have been cases where there was um, there were people traveling transit in Iran and they paid a lower rate and um, they were taking all sorts of uh, uh, routes they were not following the main avenue uh, which would involve uh, bribing officials but they were taking other routes and in order to avoid road checks and yeah that was a case that we found out um, we also found out that routes are also affected by the the abundance of smuggling networks in an area and the example that I have in mind is the shift of the migration irregular migration inflow from the Greek Turkish sea borders to the Greek Turkish land borders and that took place in 2010 and 11, and we have we have seen that we have realized that uh, once um, that the majority, first of all, the majority of smuggling that was going on uh, used to happen in in the coast of Turkey, 
and uh, by where people were put on boats and they were smuggled across the seaboard uh, to several Greek islands. And um, in 2010, there was uh, the demining operation in the northern in, in northern Evros had come to a conclusion, and the smugglers found out about this, and there were, and that was a very cheap way of entering in Greece. So we have seen that in a few months, most of this smuggling was happening um, through through that small uh, land border, and very few cases continue to, to be smuggled through um, through the, the, the Greek Turkish sea border area. So talking about the, the, the organization of the smuggling network, what we realized, because I've talked to you before about the role of the broker and the cashier. Um, uh, now where we try and talk to you about the other roles in the smuggling network and in and in doing so, I will try to reveal some aspects of the travel, basically, of what happens in the journey. And what we have found, the main characteristics of the smuggling networks that we have found is that they are, as I say, polycentric, they're loosely connected, meaning that uh, a head smuggler in the origin country is uh, loosely connected to smugglers in the transit of destination country, and every head smuggler he's loosely connected to various um, uh, lower rank let's say smugglers or people that are not even smugglers and they're doing just uh, they're just contributing to a certain uh, offering a certain service at a certain leg of the journey yeah. And in this sense, we, 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 we talk more of a task-driven operation and not so much a person-driven operation like the mafias, let's say. And, um, uh, and this has various uh, policy implications as we talk, as I will talk about in the end of the seminar. Uh, so, as I said, there are various intermediary head smugglers in transit stop. There are, and the people that are more task driven, they are drivers, and there are drivers that are regularly recruited by smuggler networks, and there are drivers that are casually recruited. And they, there are all sorts of means of transport that they can be recruited for. Um, there, there are cases of. Uh, there are guides, uh, especially people that um, that ha that have been um, smuggling people on foot in order to cross the Iranian-Turkish border and the mountainous border there. And uh, there are also bus drivers that are involved in it. As a characteristic case is uh, the bus line from the city of Van in eastern Turkey to Istanbul and there are cases where they we have even found cases where they actually when they reach Istanbul they they leave let's say five migrants in the bus they don't 
they stay in the bus and then they take them to a certain uh, destination that is agreed with a smuggler. Uh, there are, and of course there are the safe house owners and the safe house guards and other local professionals providing services and private officials and etc. And all these, uh, and then the, the people that, the drivers, guides, bus drivers, people involved in the safe houses, offering the services and local professionals, they are all, the main features is that, um, the main feature is that we have, we have found that there are people that are casually recruited by the network. We have found uh, people that are, I don't know, one example is uh, people that are like working in the formal economy in Tehran and they commute and they, their house is towards uh, Orunye, towards the, the border with Turkey. And one main pattern is putting two people in every, or f two or five people in every private car and just reaching to the next leg of the journey, reaching to, towards the Turkish-Iranian border. And these were people that were not, that were earning some good pocket money, if you could say. Well, more than pocket money, but they had another work and they were just commuting. So, uh, other cases are merchants working in, um, in the Iranian-Pakistani border and I'm talking about the region of Balochistan in Pakistan, uh, south in Pakistan that is, where you have people that, uh, that uh, bring, that actually the merchants, they, they are, there are other merchants or individuals who just are interested in buying petrol in Iran, where it's cheaper, and resell it in Pakistan, which is more expensive, and in doing so they carry, uh, in their van they carry some migrants. Um, then we have there are all sorts of people that are involved. I mean, there are areas in uh, Kurdish, let's say, populated areas in the Iranian-Turkish border, whether the whole community is not whole community, maybe I'm exaggerating because I haven't been there physically, but from there, lots of accounts that we've heard is that there are people that, you know, there are lots of houses and stables that house, that work as safe houses where migrants stay until they continue the next leg of the journey. There are, uh, uh, for instance, and there are there are lots of ways that people are entangled in their in their activities of the smuggling network. For instance, someone goes to the bakery to buy some bread and they buy 15 loaves of bread, and of course the baker says, "What do you want this for?" I know why you want this one, because you're having people in your house. So give me something and I won't tell. So this is, there's a, there's a growing social consent around it in some areas, around smuggling. Um, then we have uh, migrants also working, uh, being involved in, in the smuggling network. Uh, taking different roles, they can be brokers, they can be safe house guards, they can do all sorts of things. And uh, I'll move forward to the next slide, which is what does really the journey experience depend on? What do the migrants have some agency in the whole thing? 
And from what I've said about the modes of payment, modes of payment do matter in the actual experience that the migrants will have. I already mentioned about um, uh, people that have been paying in installments, uh, which adds pressure on local smugglers in transit stop to secure the clientele. For instance, there are cases of migrants that have agreed with a certain smuggler to be brought, let's say, to Turkey. And then they left it loose, the agreement. They left the agreement loose. And they said, yeah, and then we'll drive you further, but pay us up to Turkey and we'll find it out. We'll, we'll sort it out. But of course, the intermediary head smuggler that is involved in Turkey, he wants to get the most out of it. And there are cases where migrants are, are imprisoned, basically, in these safe houses. And there are also cases of Kurdish mafias that are uh, that capture migrants at the border, of the Turkish-Iranian border, and there are lots of you know the stories of torture and uh, asking for ransom from relatives in order to release them. Uh, high price. Does it really uh, mitigate the dangers of traveling with a smuggling, smuggling network? Um, not always. We have seen cases of uh, smuggling migrants that have got that have paid a high rate, and the thing that really saved them was that because uh, they were put along with all the other migrants in the same with migrants that were paying much less. And the, th the thing that saved them is that the relationship they had with, uh, with the head smuggler in the origin of the transit country. <coughs> and, um, so, and then it is very... As I said, the, these, the smuggling networks are quite loose networks, so uh, the intermediary smugglers even though they are in contact with the head smugglers, let's say, they they are interested to, to to secure their profits and to maximize their profits. Uh, so they can, um, so let's say in cases of a lower price, uh, we we might have more risk. We have we have less bribing, let's say. We have less paid intermediaries in the network and there's more risk on the actual migrants. A very important thing is uh, that migrants, uh, a very important variable is whether migrants that come to uh, a certain community in a destination country or not. Um, the cases of Pakistanis and Afghans that uh, try to leave Greece, because Greece is a transit stop, is indicative. The Afghans that, uh, the Pakistanis that try to leave Greece, they they are connected with up to 2011. We found in many cases where people were coming with a promise of work and they were staying with relatives. And they, and even though they were facing difficulties in finding this job, they were less desperate in trying to leave. And they would wait till they found the right opportunity, till they find something, uh, a small job to do in order to gain some money. Afghans, 
they were you you were you you had cases that, that were they were more desperate in, in uh, trying to leave Greece, and there was no and that was also related to the fact that there was no settled community in Greece of Afghans, and uh, there are of course several uh, coping strategies uh, when people are stuck. There are afterwards I refer about uh, the difference that. It, that there is when you have a family migration as opposed to a single migration. Uh, the likelihood to be stuck when you are traveling with your family is much bigger in Greece. So that's why uh, there's a, there is a growing Afghan community in Greece right now and uh, composed, composing main, mainly of families. Uh, but you know, they have to pay more so they can't afford it, so they're stuck in Greece. And there are several coping strategies that they develop when stuck, trying to survive. Um, and I guess I'm towards the end now. So the policy implications of, of our research, um, uh, we hope that we have some, <laughs> that we have some policy implications, uh, is that basically can the migrants, can migrant smuggling be addressed through tougher enforcement and let's say volume of readmissions and or should it be considered more as a social problem and the combating of which involves understanding better the social relations and networks that lie behind the smuggling and uh, what we have realized that is that you have to look as I say in the uh, more into the political economies let's say of the of the transit and origin countries. And I refer here, I've just mentioned the example of Turkey. And there is lots of talk about um, about the, the change in the whole migration in the, in the combating of smuggling. If Turkey readmits its, uh, the, the migrants that cross to Greece and takes them back. And really, what really matters, I mean, what we have to see is that, let's say, readmission agreement, it wouldn't, even if the Turkish government, they have a lot of means to, to, to address these things, and they, even if they really wanted to, 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 to cooperate and, and do this, um, they would have to address certain other fundamental problems. Uh, for instance, the, the uh, one of which is the fact that you know in, in the familistic welfare regime in Turkey um, means that uh, is consisted of a very fragmented welfare state, and that leaves out of out of the scope of um, welfare state leaves out of the scope of the welfare state a lot of uh, a significant amount of, popu of the of the local population. And the main coping strategies are informal economy. Part of the informal economy is smuggling. Uh, the, the issue of the, the case of the Kurdish is indicative here. And basically, you have to deal with the redistributional inequalities in a certain country in, in order to, to kind of somehow address uh, the, the issue of smuggling. That, that was. That's what our research kind of points to.